got a brand new sweetie, better than the one before. Oh, she's got everything and a little bit more. Hello and welcome to episode 160 of Additional History, Headlines You Probably Missed. I'm your host, Tiffany Clark, and today I have a very special Christmas-themed mini-episode for you. This isn't an obscure story by any means, and I'm sure you've heard tales of it before. But sometimes it's fun to be reminded of this good thing that happened more than a hundred years ago. One source called this event one of the most storied and strangest moments of the Great War, or any war for that matter. Others would call it a Christmas miracle. I'm taking today's main headline from the front page of the December 25th, 1914 edition of the Weekly Eagle out of Wichita, Kansas. It says, Troops to Take Holiday. Friends, December 25th, 1914 was the first Christmas that fell during World War I. Many thousands of troops were experiencing their first Christmas away from their family and friends in some of the absolute worst conditions imaginable, and it was really hard. Since the beginning of the war, the saying had gone around that the conflict would be over by Christmas. Nobody believed the war would last as long as it did, but when Christmas rolled around, there were no signs of it ending. The family and friends of those in the army knew that it was going to be a tough Christmas for their loved ones, so most of them decided to sacrifice their own Christmases so that those in the military could have a fun surprise. For example, all across France, families were sitting down on Christmas Eve to meager dinners. They had spent their money to send packages filled with love to their fathers, sons, and husbands. They filled those boxes with things like treats from home and things made from wool to keep their soldiers warm. Some families saved their pennies so they could send filled glasses and wristwatches and even sleeping bags conveniences that weren't given to every soldier. The military had set up drop-off points where families could leave packages, and then trucks and vans were loaded up with all the Christmas gifts and taken to the front lines. So, what about the soldiers who didn't have any family back home? Were they left out of the festivities? Of course not. Different groups and organizations in France got together and put packages of things to eat and wear and drink and smoke together, and then sent those out to the needy soldiers. And the Ministry of War sent a bottle of champagne for every four soldiers so they could have something to celebrate with on that Christmas day. The French military confiscated, for lack of a better word, every single plum pudding in the bakeries of Paris and then sent them to the British soldiers. The Belgian refugees, many of them children, were being so well taken care of with extras that the people in charge of them had to postpone some of the dinners being held in their honor so that they wouldn't be overstuffed, and so that the celebrations and happiness could last even longer. And speaking of Belgium, King Albert sent a box of 25 cigars to every single Belgian soldier for Christmas. The hospitals near the front lines organized concerts and entertainment so that the troops recovering from battle wounds would have their spirits lifted too. Even an American ambulance was decked out in holly and mistletoe. Basically, everyone was doing their very best to serve others and make the season a happy event for all. 
especially those living in not-so-great circumstances. When the Christmas of 1914 is described in the way I just described it, things don't seem too bad, right? I mean, they could definitely be better, but everyone seemed to be fed and taken care of. Well, that may be true for some. But for the British, Belgium, French, and German soldiers who were spending their holidays actually in the trenches, things were much more difficult. Life in the trenches was horrible. The ground didn't have a good drainage system, so it was constantly wet and muddy inside. And when I say muddy, I don't mean that the bottom of the trenches was a bit squishy. Oh no, the mud was very thick and very squishy, and in some places it was multiple feet deep. Everything people touched, everywhere people walked, all they saw was mud. To make it worse, it was really cold mud, and when soldiers got it on them, it made them even colder. Remember, this is December, one of the colder, wetter months of the year. It was an absolute must that everyone change their socks multiple times a day to try to let their other pairs dry out so that they weren't constantly standing in water. The possibility of getting trench foot was always present. In the worst cases of trench foot, soldiers would have the tissue and skin literally fall off their feet. The mud affected their equipment too, and every soldier had to clean their guns multiple times a day. They could usually only shoot a few rounds before the mud would work itself from the clip into the chamber of the gun and jam it. They would then have to completely dismantle the gun and clean it out before they could successfully use it again. I mentioned earlier that the loved ones back home had sent food packages to their servicemen, but those packages didn't always arrive in a timely manner. And usually, the men in the trenches didn't get big package deliveries there anyway. There just wasn't room for things like that. Instead, their meals consisted of things like stale biscuits. The food was never hot in the trenches because there was just no way to cook it. But despite its lack of originality and repetitiveness, the food kept the men healthy, for the most part, and just fit enough to continue to fight. So, what was it the men did in the trenches all day? Well, if they popped their heads out at all, they would get shot at. So, to pass the time, they sat around and smoked and played cards. Sometimes they'd write letters, but they didn't always have paper available to them, and it would take a very long time for those letters to actually get sent out to loved ones. So on rare occasions that they received letters from home, the men would read them over and over and over until the paper was worn out and brittle. Sometimes they'd read them to the others in the trenches. And then, finally, after they'd been read many, many times, the men would take them to the latrine to be used as toilet paper. After the war had been going on for a few months, the men discovered that it was better to sleep during the day and fight during the night when it was easier to sneak around without being seen. But how do you sleep in a muddy trench? The answer is not very well. It was at times bitter cold, and there was nothing anyone could do to get warm. They were pretty much freezing all the time. And they often had to sleep sitting up because they couldn't exactly stretch out in the trenches full of deep mud. The conditions and activities in the trenches were pretty much universal for both the Germans 
and the British and their allies. I also read one thing that said a lot of men suffered from bowel problems while serving in the trenches. That had to have been miserable. When it did become time to start fighting, there was a lot of trial and error on how to effectively do it and minimize losses. In the beginning, a lot of men were killed because their battalions would run out in a big group from the trenches into the no-man's land between the two front lines, and they'd be easy pickings for the Germans. One British battalion lost 75% of their men in just a couple of days' time when this happened to them. When soldiers would get caught and shot in no man's land, if they didn't die, they would have to crawl their way back to their own trenches without getting shot again. It was not an easy task. Sometimes they were out in the cold mud and muck of no man's land for multiple days, injured, before they were rescued or able to make their way back to the trenches. It was some of the worst circumstances imaginable. Well, by the time Christmas Eve arrived in 1914, it had started to snow in some places. Frost was everywhere, and puddles in the trenches froze over. Morel was not high. Some people, including the Pope, had proposed truces for Christmas Day and New Year's Day, a day when the troops could have a moment of peace, a day without shooting. The troops hoped it would happen, but it was never officially approved. And even if it had been declared, nobody knew if they could really trust the other to obey a truce. One article I found told the story of that night from the point of view of different men who experienced it. One of those men, Bruce Barron's father, would later write about his experiences that night. He was a machine gunner for the British Army, and he was stationed in Belgium. He said that he was sitting in the trenches, shivering, and trying desperately to keep warm. The trenches were about three feet deep and three feet wide, so it wasn't very easy to stretch out in them, and it was impossible to stand up. All they could do was sit there in the muck and munch on their stale biscuits. They did have cigarettes with them, but they were too wet to actually smoke because nobody could get them to light. The only way men ever left those trenches was if they were put into an ambulance. That night, Christmas Eve, spirits were very low. Then, at about 10 p.m., Bruce started to notice a noise of some sort. It was far off in the distance, and he couldn't quite tell what it was, but he knew that it was coming from the German trenches not far from them. As Bruce continued to listen, the sound became clearer, and it increased in volume so he could understand what it was. The Germans were in their trenches singing Christmas carols, like Stille Nacht. Or silent night. The night was dark, and although they couldn't see each other, some of the British soldiers began to sing along, their voices carrying over to the German side. Soon, more and more troops were joining in with the singing. It was kind of fun and surprising, and nobody knew quite what to make of it. But then the sound of the singing was broken up by shouts from the German side. The British quickly shushed each other so they could hear what was going on. Then they heard someone yell, in English, but with a German accent, Come over here. Well, the British weren't very excited about that because maybe it was a trap. And if they stood up, they would be fired upon. Nobody wanted that to be their last Christmas. So, 
someone from the British side yelled back for the Germans to meet them halfway, somewhere in the middle of no man's land. It worked, and the Germans slowly stood and began to crawl out of the trenches. The British cautiously did the same thing. They picked their way across the battlefield and met in the middle. In a true Christmas miracle, the men shook hands and began to speak with each other. Many of the Germans had worked in England before the war and spoke pretty good English, even though not that many British soldiers could speak German. The men stood out there in no man's land and shared stories and sang songs together. They swapped tobacco and wine with the men that they'd been shooting at just hours before. That little Christmas party, held in the cold and dark, was one of the most significant and meaningful parties of all time. Bruce wrote, quote, Here they were, the actual practical soldiers of the German army. There was not an atom of hate on either side. What Bruce Barron's father witnessed that night, 108 years ago, was truly a miracle. But it wasn't an isolated incident. All across the Western Front, and even a little on the Eastern Front, spontaneous gatherings were popping up that Christmas Eve. Troops were crawling out of their holes to meet and share in the special holiday. Another British soldier who wrote about his experience was Jay Reading, a rifleman. He was assigned to sit in an abandoned house and keep watch all through the night on Christmas Eve. Just like those in the last story, Reading suddenly heard singing. It was the Germans, and they were singing Christmas carols in perfect English. Then they shouted for him and those with him to come out and bring drinks if they had them. Jay Reading yelled that they would meet halfway, and eventually he stepped out of his hiding place. They shook hands with their enemies and again began to swap cigarettes and cigars. He said nobody fired a shot that Christmas day. Everything was quiet, and it felt like they were living in a dream. A lot of the men described the events as unreal and dreamlike and unbelievable. One soldier, John Ferguson, said, Here we were laughing and chatting to men whom only a few hours before we were trying to kill. The German emperor sent Christmas trees to some of the areas, and the Germans set them outside their trenches, decorating them with candles. It was the perfect place to sit around together and sing Christmas carols. In another location, someone managed to find a soccer ball. The men started kicking it around, and soon others joined in from both sides, and then more and more joined, until there was possibly hundreds out there, right in the middle of no man's land. It wasn't an organized game by any means, and it was pretty much a free-for-all, but they had fun. Pictures of that game exist, and smiles are on the faces of everyone. In 1999, someone found a diary in the attic of a former German soldier. He had participated in the soccer game that day and wrote, How marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. The British officers felt the same way about it. Thus Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. One of my favorite stories is of a British soldier who set up a temporary barber shop and offered to give haircuts to the Germans in exchange for cigarettes. A haircut can be a very intimate thing, and I can't figure out how they were able to ever go back to shooting each other 
after sharing the special moments of that Christmas and realizing just how similar they really were. In another area, one German soldier approached a British soldier and asked if he could please mail a letter to his girlfriend because she lived back in Manchester, England. The British soldier agreed, and he did make sure he sent the letter as soon as he was able to. All across the Western Front, people from both sides shared photographs of their family and girlfriends. Then they stood next to each other and took pictures together, forever capturing a -a once-in-a-lifetime moment of true peace. So far, all of the stories of the Christmas truce have been joyful and fun. But in some locations, the meeting of the two sides took on a more serious tone. For there, on the battlefield, enemy helped enemy gather their fallen soldiers and carry the bodies off the field so they could respectfully be buried. That night, it didn't matter which country the bodies had come from. Somewhere, someone would be mourning the loss of a loved one, and that mattered to everyone. The British made a bunch of makeshift wooden crosses for their graves, and they shared those crosses with the Germans, helping to pound them into the ground to mark each freshly dug grave. So, just how many troops took place in the impromptu celebrations across the war-torn land? Nobody knows for sure, but some estimate that 100,000 men participated that day. Unfortunately, in some areas, things didn't go as smoothly and soldiers were shot when they tried to enter no man's land. And in one area, a 25-year-old German Scrooge told his fellow soldiers, quote, Such a thing should not happen in wartime. Have you no sense of German honor left? You might have heard of that soldier before. His name was Adolf Hitler. Sadly, Christmas Day eventually came to an end, and the Great War continued for many more years, which meant many more Christmases with troops on the battlefields and in the trenches. Truces like those that happened in 1914 didn't happen the next year, or the next, or the next. It was a one-time thing. A thing that was so special, memorials have been made about it, and books and movies have been written about it. Many millions of people were killed in World War I, but for one very special night, the killing stopped. The men from both sides realized that they knew the same Christmas carols, and they celebrated the same way with Christmas trees and gifts. And they all realized that they shared more with their enemies than they thought. They were all human. And as Bruce Barron's father said, looking back on it all, I wouldn't have missed that unique and weird Christmas day for anything. Friends, I hope that you have your own miracle Christmas this year. I hope that whatever you wish for comes true and that you have a wonderful day spent with family and friends. Join me in the additional history headlines you probably missed Facebook group, and I'll share a link to a website with a lot of pictures from the 1914 Christmas truce. Then, on Monday, when you're done celebrating and need something to listen to while you clean up crumpled wrapping paper and discarded boxes, tune in and I'll have a brand new full-size episode for you. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and I'll talk to you later.